welcome back to the Pit Stop Podcast. I'm Jordan Tyler Coltman, joined by Tyler Walzak. Tyler, it's our last episode of the season. The longest season in Formula One history has come to an end in, in Abu Dhabi. Certainly not the fireworks spectacle and disgrace we saw last year uh, at this circuit, but a much simpler one. Uh, before we get going here really quick, we've got to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor of the final episode of the Pit Stop Podcast for the 2022 season, and that is BetStamp. BetStamp is your one-stop shop for line shopping, bet tracking, and sports betting odds. You would never just go with the first price if you were shopping for flights, so why settle for the first odds you find when betting. BetStamp changes that. They streamlined and made it easier than ever to find the best wide spectrum of odds for any bet. Makes it easy to track your bets all in one place and you can get alerts in case the line changes. You can learn what bets your friends and even celebrity bettors are making. You can download the BetStamp app for free. And when you do, please use the code ORDINARY at setup so that they know we sent you. To always get the best value when you're betting, choose BetStamp. Abu Dhabi, it's done, it's dusted. Max Verstappen with a commanding lead right from the beginning of this race, right to the end of this race, much like he has done all season long. Uh, I'll just go with this first. Did this did this race sort of sum up how the entire season really went for Max Verstappen uh, and for kind of what we expected? I mean, we had a little bit of pushback from Ferrari like we did earlier in the year, but was it a microcosm of what the season has been on a whole? Would you agree with that summation? I would say not only with Red Bull, with but with the entire field all the way from Ferrari finishing second, but not yet having both drivers on the podium or within the top four, even um, Perez being Perez and just always the consistent guy. He's there. Same thing with George Russell top four again, or top five again, this race. Um, and then you have like Mercedes hanging around and, and then Lando Norris being the, the best, of the rest. Like I, this, this entire race kind of summed up the whole season. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it, 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 it's funny because going into this year, I think there was a lot of hope and expectation that these cars were going to mix things up. And it turned out that really didn't happen. You know, we certainly saw that these cars can follow in certain circuits a lot better. We certainly saw some interesting overtaking. Brazil, I think, featured these cars at their absolute pinnacle as far as that, you know, ability to follow in dirty air. But for the most part, once these teams sort of sorted themselves out uh, in terms of where they were going to stack up, not much of that changed. We had lots of battles throughout the midfield, but they were the same battles all season long. It was, you know, it was McLaren Alpine, you know, uh, further down, you had um, Alpha Tori competing with Aston Martin and you had, and you had um, sort of, I don't know, a little moment where we thought maybe Haas had something and then they kind of leveled out again too. So overall this season really wasn't as, um, I don't know, different than what we've seen in previous years. The top teams all kind of were the top teams. I think there was a few races most recently where we could argue Mercedes overtook Ferrari in terms of pace, but then that leveled out again here in Abu Dhabi again. You know, Mercedes slipped back down to being the third place team and that's where they had been all season long. Um, the two best drivers were Verstappen and Leclerc all season long. Ups and downs for Leclerc, obviously, uh, whereas Max Verstappen sets the record for most victories. Um, continues to dominate right through it all. Uh, and even in a race where, you know, he had made it pretty clear he was going to try to help Perez, whatever the heck that meant. Man, he, he didn't really. You nailed that, by the way. When we talked last time and you said that, and I was like, whatever, they should just bench Verstappen. You said, no, they're what they're going to do is they're going to try to, Verstappen's going to be on the radio saying everything that is going to try to help Perez so that he looks like the good guy again. He's not a good guy. He's not. He did this race kind of show how dominant he is and that next year he probably won't go away in terms of of like hey you, you guys all have to catch me i've won 15 races this year you all have to catch me but it was complete bullshit with him and perez and he could have he could have helped perez by just slowing down um leclerc if he wanted to like, yeah you're right those, he could have dropped back and done that have. the only the only the only argument i would make against that because i thought a lot about that i was watching it and thinking like okay so they talked a good game after coming out of what was just an absolute disaster for them as a team in terms of like, Oh, well, we've put it all behind us. We're moving on. We're all kind of on the same page. They did all of the right PR things. You know, you even saw them post on Thursday night before this weekend, they Let's posted the that. big team photo and they Let's wanted to do a thing. All right. Get in, get get Let's get in on that. that. Because this race, let's just talk about the, the race. Ho-hum. Everything about this weekend was kind of ho-hum. Um, 
But during qualifying, uh, there was a couple of cool things that happened in qualifying that I'll talk about. The first of all is that 20 driver photo. Because it was, if you follow on social media, different um, racing um, accounts and stuff, the memes were crazy because you could draw lines between how close the team's drivers were and Red Bull furthest away. And then you had like Ferrari super close together. Like stuff like that is kind of just funny to watch how people dissect it like so clearly. But yeah. so they were talking during the race that Lewis Hamilton picked up the tab for all 20 drivers for the dinner that they all went out together on. For, for in honor of Sebastian Vettel, for those un, uninitiated uh, who is retiring yeah. and obviously retiring a, last a very, dinner. very beloved member of the paddock. Everybody liked him. So then the announcer started talking like, yeah, like the photo has everybody drinking water. So like the, the photo of them all at the dinner has everybody drinking water, no alcohol on the They're table. In Abu Dhabi. And the yeah. announcers brought this up. Yeah. No alcohol on the table. Now, the tab for the dinner was over $140,000. Yeah. Now, I, while watching the race, kind of broke this down in my head and got my calculator out. Bullshit. There was no alcohol at that table. <laughs> it doesn't make, you could eat, they could each spend, like they could each buy a $4,000 steak and it still would not add up to the dinner that they had. So there, there's no way there was no alcohol at that table. So yeah, great. Thanks for the photo op guys, but no one believes it. I don't buy it. Like, even Abu Dhabi, we're seeing the same thing with the world cup. Like if you have money, you can get alcohol anywhere in the yeah. world. It's just a thing. So yeah. there's, let's just, let's, I, I just wanted to bring that up because bullshit. Okay. Bullshit. So, so let me jump back to where I was then you get all of the PR stuff that Red Bull is doing and then they get into the race and there's nothing Max can or really will do. I mean, short of, as you say, slowing down. But here's the problem with that. He slows down. All he does is give Charles Leclerc DRS, which right, doesn't yeah. help Perez. This is not a situation where, you know, you're trying to slow down the guy chasing down Perez, which is the reverse of what we saw last year, where Verstappen was trying to catch Lewis and Perez slowed the leader down, yeah. right? Or the, or the apparent leader down um, in, in, in the pursuit part of it. In this situation, you're slowing a guy down who's already ahead of the guy that he's trying to catch him. It was just the roles were reversed. Great strategy from Ferrari to make sure that they had offset the 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 pit stops. And I know it sounds insane for me to say Ferrari, but Ferrari actually ran. They're probably their most the straightforward, but well executed race all season in terms yeah. of what their one goal was, which was make sure we get uh, Charles ahead of. Paris. That's all that mattered to them. They used signs to study a little bit of the tire strategy. It was an interesting stru tire strategy all across the grid in, in, in terms of who's going to go to, who's going to go one. And to be honest with you, Red Bull, I think, banked a little bit too much on their own pre-scout, their own research, which is the fact that very, for most of the season, Ferrari has struggled with tire degradation more than Red Bull has. And I think when they looked and saw, oh, Leclerc's on a one-stopper and Max is on a one-stopper and recognizing whatever data they had on Max's tires, they assumed the Ferrari was going to fall off, which is why they tried to get Perez on fresher tires. Just turned out this time, Leclerc did a great job keeping his tires healthy. Something went Ferrari's way for once for this whole season and, and the strategy was just wrong for Red Bull and it ended up being that way. Would the extra two points in Brazil have helped? Three points. Everyone says two points. There was a point during the sprint race that he could have given Perez and then there was two fair. points in the race he could have given. Three okay, points. Fair it enough. would have had them so, tied. That's right. So it would have had them tied at the end of all of this. Good. That that You're right. I had missed the sprint part of it. That's a good point. There's three available points had Max been the team player at that time. Maybe have you, you, we, maybe we see something different. Maybe we don't. I mean, that's that's the hindsight part of it. It's impossible, but it doesn't. It, it would have had them tied in points, but Leclerc would have won because he has three wins this year, whereas President correct. has two. So in hindsight, it did not matter. But now, I think a 308 yeah. 308 tie is better than a 308 305. True. Couple other couple other things to touch on in this race. We got a lot of other fun stuff we're going to do here as our last. I still have some season. qualifying stuff too, though. Okay, well, let's do that first then, because th we can do it in order. Let's go through yeah. qualifying. What do you What have you got for me? So um, Vettel, his dad in qualifying, mm -hmm. was an honorary pit stop member, pit crew member. Super cool. Not important, but I thought it was very cool. Yeah. Robert Vettel, wicked name. 
um, something fun to do to like his dad obviously is a huge part. Everyone's dad is obviously a huge part kind of when it comes to a sport sure. like this. Well, um, and we talked, we talked earlier in the season, like, let's just take a moment while you're on it for the Sebastian Vettel yeah. part of this. Cause this really was Sebastian Vettel's weekend in so many 100%. ways. This was a very, this was very much a, because very little was to let to be decided. Don't say that to the teams that still had positions because there's lots of money on the line. But at the end of the day, the story of the weekend was going to be Sebastian Vettel's final Formula One race, we think, um, because he's a four-time world champion. He's one of, he is literally a living legend in this sport. Um, a man who defined the era pre-Mercedes dominance, made Red Bull into champions for the first time before now they've done it with Max. This is a huge thing for the sport. And you're watching someone who it's funny. We both joked. We were like, Oh, he's beloved by everybody. But there was a time when he was very much disliked because he was good and he was competitive and nobody could beat him for four years in a row. He won championships for Red Bull and he, and, and people, you know, didn't like that. Well, yeah. over time he's become a bit more of a beloved character. Obviously he has shifted. I think a lot in terms of what his life focus is. We talked again about this when we heard he's, he was retiring. You know, this is a guy who has become a, a humanitarian and someone who's put a lot of effort into um, f fighting for causes and things he cares about. I have a lot of respect for that. And I thought it was a really beautiful way. The whole weekend was kind of the Sebastian show and then give him full credit, put on an awesome show, right? Makes yeah. quality three and, and then had a good, a very good race, even with the wrong strategy on his car. So big, big weekend for Sebastian. We'll touch on a few the, things. The coolest Talk thing about, about the coolest thing about quality. Um, there was just two more things I have to say about it which happened during it was um, there is a shot of four different drivers, four cars moving around the track. And it looks like it's slow motion. Yeah. Cause I was watching and I was like, Oh man, this slow motion shot's super cool. But then you see Vettel going through them all yeah. on a flying lap. And I was like, Oh shit, that was not slow motion at all. That was literally just the speed they're going. And then Vettel going through, it is probably, I would say, for me, one of the more memorable, I want to say like film moments or like yeah. action moments of the year, just because I had, like, I was like, Oh, what is going on? Like, why are they doing slow motion just to show someone? Like, I thought they were going to go to like a wheel or something, or like, you know how they, mm -hmm. um, when a wheel's breaking down, they show you the exact line on where it's breaking down, yeah, but yeah, no. Yeah. And then Vettel just comes around the corner, just going 250 kilometers an hour. I'm like, Oh my God, that was super fucking cool. Um, and then, also, so here's another thing I found super interesting during qualifying that they talked about was last week, one of the cars, I forget what car it was, had a sensor failure for water damage Alonso. or water leak in the car. It was Alonso. Alonso. Yeah. They did not retire Alonso. They kept him racing, just wondering what was going on, kind of what was happening. But they were talking about retiring him because of that sensor yeah. leak. There's 250 sensors on each car. Yeah. And it's incredible to me that it, I, I feel like you'd have five sensors break on every car, every race, 250 sensors. And you have to trust every single one of them. The dad, I would love to just sit beside or at the wall of each team just to see all the data that's there. There's no way I'd be able to understand all of it, but the fact that they have to go, all right, we have 250 sensors. One of these isn't acting right. Maybe it's broken down or maybe it's dead accurate is extremely you have like you have to be extremely intelligent to understand the difference between that happening yeah um i, well, remember I think a big part was... of it is a big part of it is the guys who are studying it every single re race know what it should look like and what it looks like when something's off you know yeah. what i mean and i think that's a big part of it but you're right i mean the, the amount of data consumed uh at you know during even just a practice session is is massive i remember yeah watching a behind like a you know like an informational video or whatever that formula one had put out about some of their kind of behind the scenes technologies and they the estimation was that they gathered the equivalent of a terabyte of data every second yeah during a race which is a man like just an unbelievable amount of data i think they they gave an analogy where they were like if you were to fill filing cabinets with all of the data you'd have enough filing cabinets to fill the Atlantic ocean by the end of the season. Like that is a, it's an, like almost unintelligible amount yeah. of information being produced by these incredibly, I mean, they're like, they're like more sophisticated than the rockets we sent to the moon in the sixties, like unbelievably complicated. 
it's it's insane. Like they were saying that they don't get the information until the next day because of the download transfer. Yeah, it's insane. Which is, is wild. Like it's, the technology on these cars is people think, oh, they're like super technological. You have no idea. They're so far beyond super technological. It's insane. Like it's just really, really, it adds another aspect. I wish that Drive to Survive would get more into that because they do have a fun way of getting into some of that detail. Hit us up with that. Stop with this bullshit drama stuff. That's Hit us good, up with some of the good. numbers. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, um, and then, yeah, go ahead. So you talked about, you just mentioned that they wanted more diversity in the car standings. Um, maybe diversity is not the right word, but they wanted more yeah, uh, to spread yeah. it out a bit. Yeah. Do you think it worked this year? Because looking at the numbers on the Constructors' Championship, there was only four teams this year that hit the podium. Yeah, yeah I don't think it did. I think, unfortunately, well, here's the thing. I think... We had eight teams. Eight teams last year hit the podium. Yeah. Only think, four teams did this so here's year. The only, McLaren here's is the, only, the odd team out with yeah. only one podium. Here's the only thing I'll say. I don't think that... I don't think that we can fairly assess what these cars and these new regulations are actually going to do in year one. Right. And the reason I say that is because the amount of, of technological advancements, the, the, the intricacies of how all of these different concepts are going to try to work together on these cars and how every team is now trying to figure out how to kind of knit it all together, I think takes every team a different amount of time. That's the reality of how this works, right? That's why you're developing your car all year. That's why every single year you're trying to improve on what you've done, but also kind of reinvent the things that failed for you. And when you look at the cars, we were like comparing it to last year, the misnomer there is that last year is the end of almost a decade under the previous regulations where we're right. dealing with 10 years of development under the same rules. And so this is year one. I think that in some ways you can already see the benefits of what these cars are going to be able to do. We did see in like a very DRS heavy uh, Brazil where you have great opportunities for overtaking, a lot of overtaking. No, we had that last year too, to be fair, but it made it easier. We saw a lot closer racing in some of the street circuits this year. Not necessarily huge overtakes, but but maybe more competitive racing. But the as I said, the gap between the top three teams and the rest of the field is still pretty much where it was. It's, it's a gap. It's a big and gap. it's still a big gap. And and that might shift and adjust, and that's the hope. Um, and as teams now start to put it together, we'll get better. Look, in one year, the gap between two overcame. and three, the gap between two and three got better, but the yeah. gap between one and two last year was was closer, but two and three got better and the rest still falls off. So do you think conspiracy, conspiracy theory wise that these new rules in the first year just helped the top teams gap? Sure. I think the top teams, I mean, it, and to, I think the top teams are the top teams for a lot of different reasons. Right. Um, um, money, but, the reasons money. Yeah. M money is one of them. I I'm actually, the I, to be honest with you though, I was actually, I am still, a bit baffled by how good and how far ahead Red Bull was considering how much of last season was dedicated to last season, right? Well, they should shorted. have, they yeah, spent well, they more overspent money. money. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they should have though, by all standards been handicapped by simply the fact that they were fighting right to the end of the year. Like Mercedes was clearly didn't affect them. Clearly they figured out the car. What I was trying to say a second ago though, which I think points to the question you asked a minute ago of like, have these regulations done enough in one season, they were able to go from almost debilitating ground effect porpoising at the beginning of the year to it basically being a non-issue by the end of the year. And what that tells you is that these teams, even in that short period of time with the constraints of a car that's already designed, were able to understand better what these regulations need to be successful. And yeah. taking that into a full design process over the off season is definitely going to lead to, I think, more competitive racing next year. That's, I hope that, that but I, but yeah, I'm optimistic, I guess is what I would say. Are you? Yeah, I, I am optimistic because I think that the gap, what we saw over the last three races, the gap between Red Bull and Mercedes closed quite a bit right. and Ferrari didn't go anywhere. So, and that's not a bad, that's not a and knock on back. Ferrari. Ferrari after at the having top. some bad races. Yeah. They no, it's actually not a knock right back. So it's not a knock on Ferrari at all. Ferrari's, yeah. 
the, the Charlotte Claire finished second overall in the, yeah. in the driver's standings. That's an incredible accomplishment considering he, he wasn't in the yeah. top. Well, uh, and considering where they were as a team two years ago, right? Exactly. Like there was a, that's a, for Charlotte Claire to or finish two year. is huge and yeah. it should be talked about more like unbelievable accomplishment. Now it's not going to define his career obviously, but next year Ferraris can this race, if anything, help Ferrari go, okay, we still have the car, the car, which is the most important part. We still have that. It's the fast, the second fastest car on the track. We just need to figure out some other stuff, which they will. They'll figure it more. Or they won't, and we and they'll never. We'll never know, um, because you brought up a good point on the off season that they might bring up the racing director from Alfa Romeo to yeah. be the Ferrari, and I think that's a huge mistake. And we've talked about it. Is why go to your lesser team? for their strategy, which basically they're just trying to kind of copy you go out, poach somebody, poach somebody from Mercedes, poach somebody from Red Bull, get someone that knows and understands different ways of thinking and bring them to the forefront of your team and try to level out the, the, the playing field that way to promote within. If your Ferrari is a giant mistake to me. Good point. Let's move on to the race uh, really quickly some of the storylines from, from the race itself. Obviously, there was still a lot on the line for Alpine. There was still a lot on the line for the two guys we talked about with second. We've kind of covered that. Very disappointing race in some ways for Mercedes, although obviously, you know, they still finished five. Uh, and then obviously they had their very first sort of technical failure yeah. of the year, which is also something to note. Like Mercedes, 100%. for all their struggles this year, incredibly reliable vehicle, incredibly re reliable car, incredibly reliable engine. And I also went and did a little bit of digging as far as the manufacturers of engine power units were concerned. They were the most reliable across the field. Um, the majority of the technical failures that led to cars, not finishing went to Ferrari, um, not just in their own cars, but in the other cars running their engines across the field. So, you know, Mercedes gets some credit for that. I think they, they should difficult yeah, for Lewis you know, gets the damage early in the race. I think that he'd cracked the floor. Uh, and then he also had a sensor issue, whether that was an actual failed sensor or a result of that incident, I don't know. But then a later, you know, he has a hydraulic issue that forced him to retire. Uh, Latifi also not finishing and Alonzo. And, and, and the unfortunate thing for lasagna, Alonzo, <laughs> I must be hungry. Wow, my tongue got all twisted there. Alonzo. Yeah. Is that like we talked about how this race sort of summed up the season for Red Bull? It summed up the season for Alonzo, man. He he yeah. could not. I bet you he hadn't even like. I bet you he didn't even stick around to take off the race suit and the helmet before he'd already walked down the paddock and and walked in and was like, you know what? Do you guys have a room over here at Aston Martin? I'm so done with those guys. I don't want to debrief. I don't want to deal with anything. The car's still running in the garage. I'm I'm so done. And and good riddance to them. But he was. I mean. It, what else can you say? There's nothing else you can say. It's for such a, like it was, this was his comeback ride. This is his back from the dead team. Yeah. And he had great yeah. races this year. He had great races with Alpine this year. And it just, for some reason, it's just the family problems. Didn't not his personal family, but the family problems with an Alpine just, it, put a whole damper on the entire thing. Like they had a good year this year. They can't look back and, and be like, Oh yeah, we had a bunch of problems. They finished fourth in the constructors. Like that's huge for Alpine. That is huge. They leap, yeah. they leapfrogged over, over McLaren. Um, and they did it with one driver, not finishing the, the race in the last race. I mean, yeah. like they, they have Alpine as a team has to look back and say, Hey, by the numbers, we did great. But we also understand that it was probably hell to get there. Yeah. 100%. And it's not, they won't have to worry about it next year. I mean, theoretically, they don't need to worry about it, but O'Connor and Gasly don't really have the best relationship either. We'll see. Uh, anything we'll else see from this? Right. Anything we'll else right. from this race that jumped out for you? Obviously, Vettel had a, a hell of a race, as I said. You know, uh, for a minute there, it looked like he was he was going to slip out of the points because they just went with a very. They, I think, they were waiting for a safety car that never came. Honestly, I think that uh, that was their only chance at something yeah. interesting. But, you know, he managed to get a point in his final Grand Prix. Uh, finished in in tenth, and and I think 
more than they should have expected, honestly, at Aston Martin, considering the year they've had. He drove the hell out of that car. I thought Ricardo had a really uh, impressive final race for McLaren, also up there in the points, almost caught by Vettel at the end, which is something to be said. And Sure. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you on that point. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, Ricardo did have a great last rep, but or last race. But w- let's talk about Lando Norris and his year. Yeah. Because they Alpine finished ahead of McLaren, but Norris finished thirty points ahead of yeah, one he driver. He did all the he did and all Alpine the and forty one. Yeah, he did all the lifting. The other one, hundred percent, hundred percent. No, he, he did had all the fastest work. lap on, on yeah. yesterday. Like yeah. Lando Norris is a driver. Like he oh, yeah. needs more recognition for what and he, he just is. and and in the right car he would be competing right now at the top four or five guys. He, yeah. He's talent wise. He's there hundred percent. I think he, he, he's one of the more disappointing seasons for me because I think that, you know, and we'll talk about our predictions earlier, but you know, like I had big expectations for him and the car was just never there for him. You know, well, he's best. The rest still, he's the best driver from the top three teams up there. Yeah. yeah. Or out of the top three. Out of the top three I, yeah. I would, I would say this was a successful season for Lynn Norris. Yeah. And he's the only other driver that's not in those top three teams that had a podium. Yeah. No, fair enough. Uh, final thoughts on the race? No, that was kind of a, a pitch bosh race. All right. Well, let's move on then to the fireworks our- at the end were cool. Yes. The fireworks in Abu Dhabi are always cool. Yeah. Let's jump to, well, yeah, they weren't so much cool last year. I don't even remember the fireworks last year. I remember no, the fireworks. fireworks were on the phone calls that you and I had after her. Yeah, exactly. Let's 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 put that to bed. Blood boiling. Um, we're gonna do some. We're gonna have some fun here. It's our last episode of the season. Um, so we're gonna do a couple things really quickly. Let's review. We made some bold predictions at the beginning of the year. Now Braden's not here anymore, but uh, he made some predictions too. I'm gonna let him. He can have his predictions. I'm just gonna focus on yours and mine, just because we're here. You had a couple of predictions. I don't know if do you remember what your predictions were? Do you have any recollection of some vaguely? Of these? They, they vaguely. were spicy. You had some yeah, spicy, spicy hot. takes. I go big. I go big on predictions. In fact, I believe the exact quote at the end of one of your predictions was, Oh, I'm fired up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you believed here, here I have it written down. You believed that Red Bull you're was going to take you're giving a away all our credibility back right now. You believe yeah, because they the, were going I, to yeah, take a I did step take back. You believed that it would be a one-two fight with Mercedes and Ferrari, and that Red Bull would take a huge step back. Not they had a new engine. No one knew what was going to happen in the first five races. That didn't look terribly wrong. You're right, but then they figured it out, and they never looked back. Yeah, they figured it out. Very true. Your next one was that there was going to be internal strife at. Mercedes and you expected that George Russell and Lewis Hamilton would not get along and expected to see a Merck on Merck incident at some point in the early part of the season. In my defense, they weren't good enough to have that strife. Fair. I would argue what we learned, I think from Mercedes is that right now those two drivers are capable of competing against each other head to head. So they're not winning races. Fair, but they seem at least right now to keep their heads. We haven't yet seen George Russell boil over. You're right. You're right. Maybe once that's they the... both have a car that okay. wins races, that will happen. Okay. So let's put it in a, put it in the vault. You can put it in the you next can year. Warm next it up year. next year. <laughs> yeah. Warm it up and it can be a nice hot one again for next season. Uh, here's mine. I had really just one and it was bold, but actually I feel somewhat redeemed by this. I, my, my, my prediction was that we were going to see three new race winners this season. Yeah. I was very hot on these new cars, expecting that we were going to see some some mix mix up, and we were it wasn't going to be quite as dominant. Did not expect Verstappen to go 15 wins uh, of 22. But the three names that I had here were Carlos Sainz, George Russell, and Lando Norris. Now, obviously, Lando Norris didn't get a sniff at a win, but George Russell wins in Brazil, and Carlos Sainz wins as well. So both of those two did win. I was, I was two for three, which I think is actually pretty good. Uh, it took me a long way there for the Russell one to come to fruition yeah. though. Uh, and, uh, and I think I got kind of lucky on that one. To well, be this is honest, kind but. of the, this is kind of the weird thing about this year is there was no winner from outside of the top three teams. Yeah, that's right. And usually like, there's at least there one of two. those races. That's last right. year there was two. There was a yeah. uh, Ricardo McLaren and Ocon at Alpine. Yeah. Those two drivers are the top out of the top three teams, like top six drivers, 
one races. We did not have that race this year, which is a shame because that's my, usually my favorite race is when you watch that happen, but also tough. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So those are our, those were our bold predictions. Better luck next year, Tyler, with those. Um, I get to keep my one. I, I'm, I'm that's one right, and one yet to be determined. All right. All right. All right. Well, so we'll, we'll one loss and one tie. All right. A tie. Well, that was a tie. You're just postponing it. <laughs> okay. We, we, we had a lot of fun this year um, for a lot of different reasons on this show. One of the things I think we really enjoyed doing was taking listener questions. So um, we're going to introduce a segment that's going to carry over into next year, which is what we're going to call uh, listener questions. We're basically going to try to answer at least one listener question every episode of next season. Um, it's an opportunity for us to refresh some of our own information. Sometimes there are questions like the question we got this week where you and I looked at each other when we first heard this question. We're like, ah, no, neither of us know the answer to this. Actually, also, it's a great, great question. question. Great um, question. So it's fun because it allows us to broaden our own knowledge around the sport. And then there are situations where we do know the answers. And I feel like there's a great opportunity with this platform to try to, you know, broaden the support and fan base and knowledge with the people listening. Cause I know that people have come to the sport in recent years from all kinds of different experiences, whether it's other you know, uh, auto racing or with absolutely no auto racing background, whether they're, you know, following it because of the Netflix series, a lot, a lot of people did and other people uh, who have just found this sport really interesting. So uh, we'll, we'll make a pledge now that through next year, we're going to try to do this every single week. As long we as need to give the listeners a, a, a direct line to us, give them yes. your phone number. Uh, okay. We won't do that, but we'll, <laughs> we will set up a way for you guys. You can obviously contact us on, on our social media, but, but going into next season, we'll have like a, a mailbag link or something on the website. However, Tyler, we have our last listener question of the year and it comes from friend of the pod, Colin Morrison, who has listened diligently all season and is Thank admittedly, you, admittedly, um, new to F1, but very much enjoys, uh, our show and, and has been learning a lot from it and we've gotten that feedback from him. So that's awesome. He had a great question this week. His question was um, he had listened to last week's episode where we ranked the circuits that we wanted to see the sprint take place at. Right. And we kind of talked about why we liked certain circuits and whatnot. And he asked a very good question, which is like, is every circuit just designed by different people? Is there like an official formula one circuit designer how does the design of circuits work because obviously new circuits las vegas for example coming in next year circuits come circuits change they get redeveloped how does that work um it was a great question didn't know the answer right off the top had to do a little bit of research and this is what we found right now there are only four um designers who are sanctioned or certified by the fia to design their circuits at every level of motor racing that they um cover outside of just Formula One. So all of the different formula circuits, the, the motor racing, the, the, the super bike racing, Porsche series, all of those tracks around the world. There's only four guys. And there's only one of those four who's been certified to design Formula One tracks since the early 2000s. A lot of the older tracks, they're designed, redesigned over the years. But as far as any new track that has come into Formula One since 2003, um, have been designed by the same person, former German driver turned architect and designer, uh, Herman Tilke is his name. He runs a design firm out of, the, out of Germany. Uh, he is, Tilke. It's Tilke. I checked the pronunciation because it looks like Tilke. Smore. Smore. But, but I, did, like I did check the pronunciation. It's Tilke. <laughs> uh, and he has designed um, right now almost a third of all of the tracks that we currently see in the F1 circuit. Uh, Bahrain, uh, we haven't been to Shanghai, but the Shanghai circuit that they're trying to get back in next year is his. Um, we just saw one of his circuits, Marina Bay uh, in Abu Dhabi is his, or pardon me, Yas Marina is his, Marina Bay is also his, the Valencia circuit, which we haven't been to in a few years in Madrid, but was previously an F1 track, uh, Baku City circuit, uh, the Miami circuit we just recently saw, Circuit of the mm -hmm. Americas was designed by him. Uh, and then there was a few that have been on the list, but are off the list. For example, we haven't been back to Korea, but the Korean International Circuit, uh, the Buddha International Circuit, in, in, uh, and the Hanoi Street Circuit, which is currently under construction uh, in Vietnam, which was meant to be run when they canceled the season for, uh, for COVID. So that never ran. There was supposed to be a Vietnam race that season, um, as well as many refits and ref, uh, like refabrications of, of yeah. previous circuits, including um, some, some more iconic ones. 
he has been criticized, I think, a little bit. This is what was interesting too in the research. A little like bit. Yeah. There's a lot of pushback lot. against some of his designs because yeah. a lot of people think that they are all kind of the same circuit reconfigured. He kind of tries to do he he adds the same elements to a lot of these circuits. Well, However, look at the circuit of America's it's we talked about it during the race. It had pieces of other tracks for sure. It was just a um a child of all the tracks. Yeah. So here's the one the one pushback that I have found again in this research is that a lot of the current drivers though are quite complimentary of his design because they feel like two things happen one they allow for safe racing mm -hmm. in competitive ways whereas some of the older circuits lose some of their competitive edge with the modern cars because you have to drive them more conservatively because they're too dangerous. They're just, they were designed for slower, heavier Formula One cars. Whereas now we're dealing with incredibly fast vehicles, faster than we've ever seen them. Um, and when you take that into consideration, I think he has designed circuits to try to accommodate that to some way. We've talked about big runoff areas and we see the both the good and the bad of that. Look at the race we just saw um, this weekend where you had Lewis Hamilton going off. He hit a curb. It did compromise his vehicle, but he didn't end up in a wall right? That yeah. would have been an immediate end to the race. It ended up being an end of the race eventually, but it meant there was an opportunity there. Um, the one thing we didn't talk about this race, which was probably my favorite moment of this entire race was the synchronized spin out with Schumacher and um, synchronized and spin out with Schumacher and Latifi that was caused by Schumacher. Correct. But they spot they, like their three sixties were perfectly synchronized and they both rolled back to get back in gear. Almost like it was like, you couldn't have, yeah designed it better and the camera <laughs> caught it absolutely perfectly but again neither of those cars having to be retired because that circuit offers some relief in terms of those runoff areas so yeah. you know it's a bit of hit and miss i think we've seen some of his circuits turn out to be very good uh and some of his circuits kind of be blah it's just it's it's he does genuinely when he alters a circuit it is to make it safer yeah which, which is you definitely, cannot argue yeah. against the reasons for yeah. why and and whatever there is behind the scenes that that happens, even in the scenes with the drivers, the drivers appreciate him because he's only looking out for them. He yeah. wants a great race, but it wants a safe race. Now, unfortunately for him, that's some of the tracks he hasn't touched. Suzaka, Suzuka, Suzuki, Interlagos, Suzuka. Silverstone, Monza, perhaps some of the better races of the year. And he hasn't touched them at all. That's fair. Um, and, I, and I think that that's part of it. What I do like... And I think is important to try to make sure that we maintain moving through this sport moving forward is that the diversity of our circuits throughout the season makes this sport what it is, right? You don't want every track to just be the same. I, I think that it's important that every track offer different types of challenges. And I think that's what we, we as fans are looking for is that mm -hmm. each week, you know, it, the circuit should challenge drivers in new ways or different ways from the week before. Uh, well, at the same time, kind of maintaining the same threshold, let's say of like quality, right? Yeah. We, we have an expectation of what these circuits are. Now I would say that the only thing with, okay, so it's okay that this one guy is in charge of all of it because of the safety reasons that happen in within the sport. Now, the first thing I relate this to is golf, because if you golf every I'll say track for the sake of racing, every golf course, every track is completely different, but there are designers that are well-known and there's designers that are up and coming. And right. it does not, it never hurts to have that young newcomer coming up to make it a little different or not necessarily difficult, but just different, add different elements that spice it up or, or help it become more exciting. So there could be an element that, okay, sure. So, Tilkey can create the next track, let's say in Vegas, but why not have someone beside him saying, well, let's just spice it up a little bit with, instead of a left-hand turn, let's just go right at maybe an extra 10 degree angle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that you're right. That there's a space and opportunity. Hopefully that, that we continue to see that happen moving forward. He's been here now for quite a while, yeah. uh, over 25 years of designing. But uh, it's shocking that one. he's the guy. Like he I thought guy. it would be someone within that country that gets to design it, that gets to be appointed no. the person in charge of the track yeah. Formula with one's F1 got their guy. officials, but yeah. they've got their one guy. Yeah, Herman Tilke. So there you go, uh, Colin. Thank you for submitting the last listener question of the season. We hope you uh, are satisfied. Also, with the, the next question is that Herman Tilke is like 
born in 1954, so he's 60. Yeah, I'm sure there's somebody else up and coming. Someone else we'll wait up and, and coming that will is. take over. So that'll be interesting to see that that transition happen because dude got to retire at some point. I think so. I'm sure he's also making great money designing these circuits, and I'm sure that until he do that at home, he's ready while watching the races. Yeah. Well, he probably designed. It'd be cool home. to walk through that guy's house because he's probably got models of different tracks he'd like to design yeah. all over the place. Well, it was interesting too to go through the list because it's beyond just the Formula One tracks he's designed. There's quite a few tracks, and and several of them were like abandoned partway through the development and or building. Like the, the either the funding yeah. fell out or something changed. And it's fast. I would be fascinated to see like what what the different iterations of these ideas are. I'd also like to point out here just for the little hometown viewing, there's a uh, Herman Tilke track on Vancouver Island. There's a circuit in Duncan. It's the Vancouver Island motor sports circuit. That is one of his designs. He designed it in 2016. Uh, really? Which is pretty cool. So next we time you're on go. the island, yeah, we should go check out Duncan's. Uh, Dun- can you Duncan's race on it? Track. Like, can you just, I don't know. You- That's a great question. That'll have to be our first question for next season's listener question. You can submit it. That'll um, be our off season. That'll be our off season. That's right. Podcast is us. We'll at go that check track. it out. We'll go check out it out. How to race it. All right, Tyler. We're we're getting near the end. I know neither of us wants to to have this season end for us, but I have a fun game for us to play because I feel like it's only fitting. We're gonna do. We're gonna hand out some awards. Okay. okay. Year end awards. Okay. All right. Uh, so I've, I've written them down here there. Some of them are kind of simple and some of them are kind of silly. Uh, but you, you, together we're going to sort out who our award winners are. This is a, the, not a secret ballot or anything. The two of us will have to debate this out and come to some kind of consensus. The first one's really easy. A rookie of the year goes to Zhao because he was the only rookie. And he had a pretty good year to be completely he honest. He had a very good year. Very quiet. First five, six races. Talked about him a lot. And how because the first two races was kind of dodgy for him, and then he really figured it out. Um, but it was very quiet, which is what I kind of think what you want as a rookie driver. I like it. I like he had a better year than Schumacher in terms of like absolutely. He against the other young drivers there who had things to prove, he definitely held his own and I think exceeded expectations. He also had probably the most, uh, and this isn't a category, but maybe you should win this award too, the most dramatic crash of the season. That tumble that flipped him over and oh, into yeah. the into the netting where he hung upside yeah. down for twenty minutes yeah. was pretty dramatic. So very dramatic. Uh, and don't listeners, don't get me wrong. I know that like Schumacher had six more racing points than Zhao, but Schumacher's out of the yeah. No, Zhao Zhao did exactly what Zhao was expected exactly of him. Exactly what was expected of him. Whereas yeah. Schumacher did not elevate what they expected from him. All that right. is what I meant by that. Now there's going to be a team and a driver winner for each of these next two categories. Okay. Okay. Most improved. Okay. So who's our most improved driver coming into this year from what they were doing last year to where they are today? Charlotte Claire. Interesting. That's a, that's a very interesting take. Really? You didn't expect, what do you mean? No, I mean, Charlotte Claire's seventh in the driver's standings last year was second on his team. Um, we were supposed to finish first this year, first on his team, second overall in standings. Charlotte Claire might have Ferrari might have been a fucking disaster this year, but Charlotte Claire is still Charlotte. Like he is a guy that everyone should be worried about next year. And those those numbers alone, which was he had 159 points in the driver standings last year with zero zero wins, one podium. This year, Charlotte Claire 308 points, three wins, eleven podiums. That's so your I like most that. improved driver. Of the year. I do like that. I would. I actually was going to go with his teammate. Really? I think that compared to where Carlos Sainz was last year, and and I think I'm even going to like adjust the criteria here. Even after where he was after like the first three or four races of this season, to where he got to by the end of this season, I think there was an incredible improvement in terms of his confidence. The fact that he got his first win, he had never had this level of car underneath him in formula one and to be able to actually turn it into some really seriously competitive. There was a period of time where he was the better of the two Ferrari drivers there consistency wise where Charles really had a struggle after, you know, the title kind of slipped away from him. So um, that's interesting. I I like that we both went with Ferrari drivers. It's interesting because I think they both also, they both, both also get a bump from the improvement of their team. 
mm-hmm. right? Like Ferrari, I mean, and maybe, maybe that's fair. Would you call them the most improved team? They are the most improved team. So not Alpine. <sighs> right. That was the only one, but just before we, you can decide on that. Think about it for a second, but to, to finish the final point, Alpine whether it's Charles or whether it's Carlos, Alpine did not whether it's those two Ferrari really made huge steps to make both of them better is what I would say. Um, yeah. All right. Well, defend that then. So Alpine won a Alpine race last year. Last year it was a bit of a year. weird race, but sure. Well, I don't care. Weird races are races. Alpine won 150, had 155 points last year in constructors, one win, two podiums. This year, 173 points, zero wins, zero podiums. So I would say that they're right where they need to be. Um, McLaren didn't like they were they worse worse this year. So I think Ferrari easily is the most improved team. Like go going. That's that's the the thing about F1 that we talk about is you don't need to go from eighth to first. You just need to go from third to second, and that's a huge jump up. Fair enough. All right, so it. it if the same rules apply, who was the most disappointing driver for you this season? Oh, don't make me say his name. I'm going to make you say his name. Lewis Hamilton. Really? That's your most disappointing. Compared to where he should be and what we think of him? Sure, yeah. That's fair. I think that's fair. He didn't win a race the first time in his career. Very disappointing. I'm sure he's the most disappointed of anybody. Uh, That's fair. Um, yeah. I, for I me, I was most, because, like, I don't know, but yeah, he didn't even, he didn't even, he's not even the best driver on his team right now. Yeah. I would make the argument that for me, it was Ricardo only because as you've already pointed out for McLaren, their car was better than what he performed to. And when you are a team that's actually competing for something that's really important, like Mercedes was never going to get higher than second. They knew they were never winning the championship. They went into full development mode. Whereas McLaren was in a legitimate mid table fight. And one of their drivers simply did not show up. And when the other driver outperforms you that dramatically, like, look, Lewis had a difficult year for Lewis standards, and yeah. that's fair. But, and even though Russell, and Russell had a much better beginning of the year than Lewis did. Lewis came on at the end of the year in terms of getting back to his own form. Yeah. Which he admitted saying that first 100%. eight, nine races, he was trying to test out the car, find different ways to make it good, 100%. figure it out. Whereas he should have just did the average, first eight races and then switch it up i get that but but he and russell i think get end up pretty close in terms of overall season sort of standards ricardo is was dramatically worse than his teammate more so i think than any other teammate um so for me that i I would have to go with him but you know i think there's a very good good case for those let's go with team okay most disappointing team can it be the same team that's the most improved Oh, that's a great way to look at it, right? Because Ferrari they improved, should, but they were they also incredibly disappointing. A hundred percent. Imagine if Ferrari was perfect every, not even every race, but 15 out of the 22 races instead of maybe eight out of yeah. them. Yeah. It'd be a completely different season that we're talking about right now. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, I'd say McLaren's disappointing based on everything you just talked about. Oh God! I mean, I was disappointed in Haas because I, Haas had a good start to the year, but where do you expect them to really finish anyway, right? So, it's a I tough know one. I, I. This is another. You made me fucking say this right now. You're gonna make me say this in front of all the listeners. Alpha Tori, most disappointing team of the year. Very disappointing. And I'm wearing my Gasly Alpha Tori hat right now. This is probably the last time I'll wear it for this podcast. I'll wear it every Monza weekend because Gasly won Monza. On this team, Monza right. on this team in that's right with this hat on. Um, so I will wear it every Monza weekend, but that's ah, dis- disappointing. Gasly's Very. up there top three and disappointing drivers this year, too. Very disappointing. Um, all they right, it's ninth. Let's 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 leave the driving drivers in the sixth teams last year. They finished ninth. Second. Our next award is for best race of the year overall, most entertaining. Best quality, whatever, however you want to define it. Best race of the year. I'm I'm going to give you a couple. Can I give you a couple finalists and see if they're the same finalists you'd have? Sure, sure. Silverstone. Okay. Monza. And Brazil. I Brazil. Brazil the whole weekend was incredible. Yeah. I think that's got to be it for me too. I think that was the best weekend of the year. 
Yeah. And it's not just for me because I'm a homer and, and a Mercedes driver won it, but from start to finish, every element of that weekend yeah. was exciting. It was entertaining. You know, the sprint was exactly what we want a sprint to be. We said mm-hmm. this last like, when we did the, the last week, the, the episode for last week. And, and then equally the race itself was entertaining. It was, it was dramatic. We didn't quite know how it was going to shake out. It was fun. Yeah, I agree. It, it was. And the thing about, um, lost my train of thought silverstone for me it was <laughs> the runner-up because silverstone always delivers but this year again it was one of those the first time this year i really felt like the new regulations were on display we yeah. saw really really aggressive driving really close following lots of it was just a high event we've said this throughout the year too like high event race for me that's that's a big thing i want like compare it to this week low event race right yeah and it, it just lowers the stakes when there aren't a whole bunch of inciting incidents to sort of get excited about. That well, makes that, a difference. That's what I was to say about, uh, actually what I was going to say about Brazil before I lost my train of thought was that the, considering it was so late in the year and everything had already kind of been decided, that still made that race what you should be watching in F1, which is not just the top driver. It's the, everybody throughout the, the rest of the 19. Yeah, 100%. Uh, all right, then, by the same standards, worst race of the year. Abu Dhabi? Wow, that's... Okay, that's Monaco? some recency violence. Yeah, I was going to go with Monaco, but uh, which is sad. Again, I, I don't like to beat up on Monaco, Monaco but it, it wasn't good this year. But qualifying at Monaco was... <laughs> well, it was more dramatic exciting. than we thought it was going to yeah. be. Turned out to be later in the year, a bit more important than we may have recognized. But the race at Monaco is just... Yeah. Yeah. Something about it has to be. I'm sure it'd be fun to be there. Miami sucked. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change it. It's Miami. Miami, Miami was awful. Sucked. Miami was brutal. There you go. I can protect Monaco because I'm a Monaco purist. I, like, was, I would love to Miami go to Miami was terrible. just for the weekend fanfare and like to see all the people that are there. Yeah. But the Miami was bad. All right. We're going to give it to Miami. I think that's a good one. That's, that's fair. Um, all right. Biggest off-track story. So... Was it the Red Bull squabble here at the end? Was it the Red Bull cap spending issue? I can it still be the fact that Verstappen didn't deserve the the championship the year before? No, we have to let that be last year's biggest. But it's all we talked about all year. That's true. I got another one for you. Is it the is it the Oscar Piastri Twitter storm and that weekend of confusion and disarray? The fact that in the span of three days, we lost Sebastian Vettel, Alonso moved, big. and then Oscar big. Piastri basically snubbed Alpine. I mean, that's a pretty big weekend of uh, like off track controversy. That was that whole week was like incredible. Yeah. And it just Is that got the biggest that was, one. Yeah. Is that, that bigger was... than the Red Bull spending cap spending scandal? Because of kind of how it petered out. I mean, I think maybe. Yeah, the petering out of the Red Bull thing was like, I didn't give a shit about that. Like, we all, I, mean, I think that's what we got to go with. I think it's got to be the Oscar Piastri Twitter fest. I think that's the biggest one of the year. For the guy to, yeah, for the guy to say, who has never raced an F1 race ever, to just completely say to his team, like, nope, sorry, what? Not that's not happening. Guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be the best one. All right. We're giving it to Oscar. Uh, all right. We're getting down to the nitty gritty here, Tyler. We got three more, and these are the big ones. Worst driver of the year. This is not worth most disappointing. It's worst Nicholas driver. Latifi. Okay, easy. Uh, Isn't it easy? He's the worst yeah, driver of the year, right? Don't like, disagree. Don't disagree it anyway. Uh, worst team of the year. It's got to be Alfa Romeo, right? All that promise, dude. They could have been most disappointing. They they looked they like they were, were like. But they, I will say, the beginning in of the your year, preseason, so you bad. did say you didn't think they were going to do well. Well, I said they were going to be the worst team of the year. Yeah. Uh, are they? <sighs> you want to prove yourself right? I'm trying to think of like... are they Were they worse than Williams or were they worse than Haas? Yeah, they were definitely worse than Haas. But the only... But constructors-wise, like the... Alfa Romeo? Were they... An, yeah, were they, were they, were they a they factor? Sixth, but they finished sixth in the constructor. I know, but like, did they like, okay, great. No, Alpha Tori was worse than. Alpha you think Tori. so? Yeah. So is that your vote? No. Mm, 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Alpha Tori. Because wow. right. they, they, they were supposed to do better things. So most disappointing, but like Alpha I'm not Romeo, stand in the way. I thought they were going to finish last the and they went sixth. Alpha Tori, I thought would finish sixth and they finished ninth. Williams, no one expects anything from out of Williams ever. And they, they got eight points. Yeah. Like true. they were the worst team. Williams yeah. was the worst team by, by stat wise, but Alpha Tori in terms of what, where they should have been this year. Yeah. No, brutal. That's Absolutely fair. brutal. All right. By the same standards, best driver of the year. Best driver of the year. I know you don't want to say his name. I'm not going to say his name. I'm going to choose somebody else. Okay, I, I'll say it for this is Max Verstappen. No, nope. Max nope. Verstappen had 15 nope. wins, the most wins anyone has ever had in a Formula One season. He was dominant from start to finish. You don't have to like him. You don't even have to admit that he's a champion from last year. You cannot argue he's the champion this year. He was consistent. He was successful every single time that he had an opportunity. He was the lion. He was the apex predator out there. And even to the point where he literally almost, you know, stabbed his own teammate in the back to do it. You don't have to like the guy, but you cannot argue with the, with the, you know, he was Kobe Bryant. I refuse to answer the question. All right, fine. Fair enough. But I agree with everything you said. (laughs) Best team. The best team was Red Bull, man. All right. We don't have to like it, but it is what it is. Look, the, the facts are the facts. All right, but here's here's where the one I knew. But that means that Perez needs to get his due too. And Perez had a got, very he good year. Twice this year. He had a fantastic year. He had a fantastic year. He deserved better. Red Bull doesn't put it together got. without Perez. 100%. They don't put it together without and Perez. And the only blemish on this season is that they failed to get him number two. That that will be the 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 one asterisk attached to this for them. All right, here's the final and the big the big kahuna, the people's champ. It's not Max Verstappen. Who is the who is the winner in the hearts of everybody out here? At the end of the year, when you look at it and you go, all the things they accomplished and all of the things that they managed to do this year, who who is our who are we crowning as the official people's champion for the 2022 Formula One season? I have one name in my mind, but I want you to say yours first. I have one, but He's kind of a dick towards the end. I would, I would give it to Charlotte Claire. Wow, That's I mean, come I on, he's second and he's a babyface. Yeah, he turned heel a little bit when he started asking signs to do shit for him. Um, I know that George Russell is hated by a lot of people, but he's kind of good too. Lando Norris is always up there. Alonzo, is George, probably Alonzo probably had the most. Mine is either George or it's Alonzo, but I was going to go with George. And the reason I was going to go with George is that people hate him, though, consistent. man. I don't care. I know. I know. But like you're talking about most like well-liked driver. Uh, I'm talking about I'm people talking don't about, like him. I don't know why people why I don't know why people don't like. I him. don't think there's a driver in this in this sport that there aren't some haters for. People Nobody is Latifi. universally people loved. People love Latifi. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> All right. So what do we want to do? Is it Charles Leclerc or is it George Russell or is it Alonzo? Because arg- I can make an argument each way. I agree with you. In so many ways, Charles was. Here's my only. Well, here's, here's my, my problem. Here's my argument against Charles. Let me just make this part. Okay. Is it Charles or Charles? I don't care. Chucky. Call him whatever <laughs> you want. I don't know the guy. Chucky. Um. There were points in this season where Charles Leclerc was just bad. Like just as a, and I'm taking everything into consideration with this one. You got to be, you got to have driven really well. You like, it's like all the same things you'd get for an MVP without the like final title piece of this. And then the key piece being like, you know, we get driver of the day, every race. Most times the driver of the day isn't the guy who wins the race. It's the guy people are impressed with what he did out there. That I guess is more my criteria. It's like who put on a show, who entertained, who, who was electrifying all of the different, you know, adjectives you want to put into it. For me, Charles Leclerc had that at points in the season, but then he, he also had some real stinkers. He had some real like messy, messy things. The team didn't support him very well. There were some real strategy issues. I think he's at fault for some of that. He made some big mistakes. The argument you could make for Alonzo is that, you know, 
again, like Sebastian, like people have recency bias with these guys and they forget that like there was a point in his career where like Alonzo was just a pure and utter dick. And you still see that for moments, but considering everything he was up against over there at Alpine, the fact that he put in some of the performances he put in, he was the most exciting driver. A lot of these Grand Prix. A lot of these times we talked about him. He made a lot. He made a lot of really impressive uh, things happen, even with the lesser car than some of his competitors. And then there's George Russell. And the thing for me with George Russell is that George was consistent. He was the the longest driver to stay in the points, you know, from start to finish of the season. Eventually he, he, he failed to do so, but I think the first like 10 or so races, he was scoring points. He was in the top five for a lot of that. I think he probably had the most top five finishes outside of Charles and Max. Uh, He's on the podium more than Lewis, his teammate. He outperforms his teammate. And then he, like he was Mr. Consistency, maybe not Mr. Flashy like Alonzo, maybe not Mr. Victory like Leclerc, but of all three of those guys, for me, I don't know. He, he puts in the most impressive performance of the season, as far as I'm concerned. Hamilton had more podiums, but Russell had a win. Sure, that makes a difference. It does. It makes a huge difference. Um, I don't know. I, George Russell won me over as a likable driver. I didn't care for him. I knew he was good. Um, and I knew that he was going, he one day will be great, but I liked him. There's a difference between understanding someone's skill level and liking them as a person. Uh, he won me over this year. Alonzo won me over this year as well, though. And, but we were forgetting about the first five races where Botas was consistently putting that Alfa Romeo into Q3 and, and, uh, I'm sorry, you trying to bring him into this conversation now? Yeah. Botas, the first, well, if we're talking about like overall, because we do have recency bias here. It's got to um, be the whole season. The, I know the whole season is probably is probably Alonzo. Okay. Or all right. We're going Here's the thing: though, towards the end, of, so let's just go back to this most recent race. Sure. Were you hoping Perez was going to catch up to Leclerc, or no. were you hoping Leclerc was going to pull away? I was hoping Leclerc would pull away, but not because I like Leclerc, because I don't like Red Bull. <laughs> I hate Red Bull too. But I felt bad for Perez. Like, look, we're crowning Alonzo the people's champ. Okay. Ah, it was, I don't like it. <laughs> I like it. I think it's great. We gave, we already gave Leclerc an award. Okay. Everybody gets decorated in our, in our world. This is, this is the millennial version of awards. Spread them out. He's the most give it to George Russell. Let's give it to George Russell. Okay. Which one you want? <laughs> I'm giving you the final deciding vote here. It's tough. I would give it to George Russell. All right. Georgie Porgy wins it. Only because people's, he never, towards the, the last champ. three races, Alonzo bitched and moaned every single race, whereas George Russell constantly, they're in a position where he, his team should have been like, yeah, you don't worry. You're not getting passed. Don't worry. You're not getting passed. Or we'll let you go ahead of the driver. Never let them, never let him do that because he's with Hamilton and he didn't complain about it once in public. All right. Fair enough. I'm going to run you down these awards before we wrap this up. Rookie of the year goes to Zhao. Most improved driver goes to Charles Leclerc. Most improved team, Ferrari. Most disappointing driver, Lewis Hamilton. Most disappointing team, Ferrari. Best race goes to Brazil. Worst race goes to Miami. Our biggest off-season or off-track story was Oscar Piastri's Twitter storm. Our best driver was Max. Our best team was Red Bull. Our worst driver Nicholas Latifi, our worst team, Alpha Tori, and the people's champion is George Russell. Tyler, it's a great year. It was an awesome year. And I wasn't even going to watch this parts of it. And I'm glad you did. I'm glad you were here with me all the way through. We're going to be back again to do this next year. Uh, Hopefully. (laughs) We're a few months (laughs) away. We'll see how we all feel. No, we're going to be back. And I'm excited for what's to come because I think that what we have learned is that the unpredictability of this sport remains, even if we still see the separation of the top and the rest, but there's hope, hope springs eternal. And that's the reality of this. There's a lot of shifting. There's a lot of new faces we're going to see in either new places or new drivers on the grid next year, all kinds of new stories. Mercedes looks like they've, they're trying to get back into this fight full-time. That will be awesome. Ferrari needs to sort out who's in charge. That'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm thinking Max and, and, and Checo maybe not going on a joint vacation in the off season, but hopefully, you know, they can, they can sort some of their stuff out. And, you know, 
I think for the most part, I'd give, you know, you and I uh, at least a, you know, a solid four to five for the season. Oh, pat on the back. A little pat on the back. And also little, thank uh, you to all the listeners that stuck with us through some of this bullshit. Uh, we have fun doing it and we hope that you have fun listening to it. And the ones that come up to us and say that you do enjoy listening to it. Thank you very much. It's been awesome. We've had great feedback. We'll continue to try to uh, implement some of that feedback. As I said, we're going to try to get this listener question segment full time next season, get the listeners involved a little bit more. If you don't already, please subscribe to the podcast. That's how you'll know when we're back at the start of next season. Uh, you can also learn more by going to the website at theordinarypodcasts.com. We have lots of other shows that are still going on across the network. If you don't already listen, you can check out Tyler and his buddy Puya every Thursday of the NFL season. They break down the previous week's games and set you up for that week's uh, slate of football games on running down the clock. Check that one out. We have the Backyard Basketball Podcast, which comes out uh, every week. Former host of this show, Braden, and his buddy Christian talk NBA basketball, which is always fun. Hattrick is every every Monday night, so you can check that show out. So much uh, going on while we are on hiatus. Uh, until you hear from us again next season, keep it on the road, everybody, and thank you for listening. That was the Pit Stop Podcast. Pit Stop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations and we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live create and share stories on these territories the ordinary podcasting network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination but a journey and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space